You are listening to Building the Future, Green Building in the New Millennium, brought to you by SustainableHomesOfTheFuture.com. I'm your host, Ian Sollenberger, and this podcast is for anyone that wants to collaborate and learn more about how to design and construct energy-efficient buildings for an environmentally sustainable future. If you have questions about how to design and build with a lower environmental impact, or you'd like to come on our show as a guest, please email me directly at info at SHF, that's Sustainable Homes of the Future, shfbuild.com. Uh, visit our website at shfbuild.com or find us on Facebook and Instagram at shfbuild. Our mission with this podcast is to inspire you, our listeners, to go out and be sustainability advocates. Share these ideas so we can truly push this industry forward. We need each and every one of you to help us build the future today. Hello, listeners. Thank you for tuning into the podcast. Ginger and I have talked in passing about some of the benefits of LEED, Energy Star, and other building certification programs throughout our first season, but we thought it might be time as we're nearing the end to do a little compare, contrast, and discuss some of the real values and the potential challenges of certifying your buildings, um, which you should definitely do. Whether you're an owner, investor, facilities manager, a building consultant, or designer, there are ways to simplify the certification process and also lower costs when you have a good approach. And having a green certified building can really increase building value and resale value from day one. So listen up. Um, good to have you here, Ginger. Well, very, very glad to be here, Ian. Um, this episode is for anyone who's considering going through that certification process. Uh, but you might still be on the fence or wavering in your decision due to the cost. It's a little confusing as far as process goes. So we'll do our best here to break down five of the most popular building certification programs, point you in the right direction. And when it comes to your specific prop project, you'll be ready to go. That's right. Um, clearly, as we always say, each project is going to have unique requirements, um, individual project goals. But as always, having the sustainability conversation early on in the process can set you up for success, uh, regardless of whether or not you end up deciding to pursue certification. And you'll have a leg up if you do, if you're clear on what the options are beforehand. So that's really our goal today. Um, Ginger, could you start by telling us the five certification programs that we'll be highlighting today? Absolutely. Um, we've got Energy Star. I think probably most folks have heard of Energy Star. LEED, LEED Certification, Well Program, Passive House, and Living Building Challenge. So they're very, very different programs, all five of them to be sure, but all with a similar goal, creating healthier, more resilient, and less environmentally impactful buildings. Yes, and building occupants. Um, it's interesting. You're starting to hear more and more about people-centered businesses these days, uh, which is a great step in the right direction under our lens of people, profit, and planet. It's my new catchphrase. Um, mm -hmm. Wouldn't it be cool to see more people-centered buildings and have people talk about that? Um, so we're going to tell the story today of how some of these programs have evolved and paved the way for this corporate movement that is finally beginning to recognize that shareholder profit or stakeholder profit in the development world is uh, a short-term approach and unfortunately leads to long-term demise for uh, all of the above, people, profit, and planet. Absolutely. We're going into a brand new era, Ian, and we're seeing the effects of decades of dealmakers and 
patriarchy sticking their heads in the sand and only considering costs when it comes to people and environment that doesn't even come into the picture. So the time has come for that to change. And I think, I think it is changing. Yeah. I read, um, this was last week, uh, that Morgan Stanley announced that it will be the first investment firm, one of the big five, you know, to disclose the carbon footprint of all their loans and investments. Um, Mm. so clearly the tide is shifting, even if it's, you know, even if that's just lip service, um, that was pretty cool to read. So mm-hmm. it's, it's a movement. It is. Sure. Um, shall we get started with the, the building certification, Ginger? Sure, let's do it. Um, cool. You're the research fellow here. So when it comes to building science and all that, so where do, where do you want to start? I think LEED's probably the most well-known program out there. So wouldn't, wouldn't you say that's a good start? Um, yeah, lead, lead, I would agree, is probably the most popular. Sure. But um, I'd actually like to start, if you're all right with it, with a little sleeper program uh, that we've referenced before, and you did mention that people have heard of before, uh, called Energy Star. Now, this EPA-backed label is actually more recognizable, probably, than LEED. Um, but when it comes to specifically building certification, there is only one leader, which is LEED, mm-hmm. in case you missed that pun. <laughs> um, <laughs> Cute. Uh, so Energy Star is more than just efficient appliances and windows and all that. Um, so how long has the Energy Star program been around? Uh, for buildings, uh, great question. The pilot for the buildings program ran in 1993. Believe that? Um, it's been almost three decades <laughs> that it's been around. And mm. while it is a gotcha. great program for comparing the efficiency of buildings, uh, it honestly hasn't been a real driver of many cutting edge business practices or, or new methodologies, excuse me, methodologies in the field. Um, it's kind of, you know, basically lined itself up with um, building to code or building slightly above code, but it's not, you know, it's not pushing mm. any like yeah, serious boundaries or anything. Um, I do think mm. it's interesting though that, you know, it calls itself a performance driven program, um, but most of the requirements are actually prescriptive. Aha. So can you explain to our listeners what you mean by performance-driven versus prescriptive path program? So how does that exactly, does that fit in with some of the other programs? Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, since I'm talking history here, LEED is going to be the next oldest U.S. program, clocking in with its first version uh, adopted by the U.S. GBC Green Building Council in 1998. Um, the early days of LEED weren't super fruitful, uh, but by the time version three came out, about nine years later, 2006 or 2007, I believe, um, it was inarguably the front runner for most building types, uh, assuming that an integrated holistic approach was your goal rather than solely focusing on energy efficiency. And that's sort of one of the big, biggest differences between uh, LEED and Energy Star. Uh, to your question, though, until pretty recently, both programs were pretty much fully prescriptive, um, meaning that they had a set of checklists or guidelines to follow. Um, projects are required and, and have always been required to do energy modeling based on the design, um, which then helps achieve a certain level of certification. And there's also as-built modeling. So if, if the, the model changes, I'm sorry, if the building changes over the course of the construction process, um, then you have to do that energy modeling over again. You can't just rely mm-hmm. on the original mm-hmm. design. Uh, but mm-hmm. there's no continued monitoring of the actual building performance. And that's the, the biggest difference between prescriptive and, and performance-based, in my opinion. 
So you mentioned an integrated holistic design approach with LEAD. Mm -hmm. I know from our company training that LEAD has categories like sustainable sites, water efficiency, energy and atmosphere, materials and resources, indoor environmental quality, and innovation. So those are those are fantastic categories. Yeah, you to, were paying attention consider. in class. Good, good job. <laughs> uh, those are all the categories. Thanks. And it's That's not amazing. a coincidence, obviously, that, that as we were outlining this first season of the podcast, we tried really hard to follow uh, their lead, pun intended. <laughs> and help folks think about all the different sustainability variables involved in achieving a well-designed and successful green build. I have a question though. Um, do LEED and Energy Star work in tandem at all? Or is there many crossovers when it comes to certifications from those different programs? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, you can actually, if you want to think of LEED as being sort of an umbrella program over Energy Star to some degree. Um, obviously we agree with both programs that energy is Energy, I'm sorry, energy efficiency is a key component for um, designing an environmentally friendly building. Um, and LEED has certain prerequisites that do end up lining up directly with how you would achieve that Energy Star certification. So you can kind of get two for one um, in a way. Uh, but as you mentioned, LEED took it quite a bit further. They brought water, indoor air quality, you know, access to light, healthy mm -hmm. materials. Uh, the human we just did our, there. Yeah, we just did our <laughs> materials episode uh, you know, it was our last one, in fact, mm -hmm. um, and, and has been popular. Everybody's listening Super to it, fun. so that's cool. Yeah, uh, and LEED actually stands for Leadership in Energy and Environmental Design. So you can see just from the title mm -hmm. how, how they got to that place. Um, we're getting, mm -hmm. you know, they're getting closer and closer to that people-centered building idea. Mm -hmm. What about price points? Are they at all similar as far as certification? You know, them? honestly, between these two, there's a pretty decent cost difference. Um, lead is definitely the more expensive um, because you need somebody to sort of usher you through the process where with Energy Star, you just, um, most of the registration and certification can be done uh, online. You do have to hire some people to come in and do those building performance tests as we talked about. But um, outside of that, it's really just the, the registration and the certification fees, which are a couple thousand. It's not, it's not very much. Hmm. Okay. So for a project that's looking for certification, but doesn't have a big budget for sustainability yet, Energy Star is a good starting point, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, Energy Star lines up pretty well, as I said already, with code requirements uh, or slightly above code. And, and the score that you end up receiving is really based on how efficient your building is related to other buildings of the same size and type. And that's different from, from the points uh, system that that LEED uses. And one of the other benefits, I guess, of Energy Star and the big difference here is that there's a certain standardization. Um, you're comparing apples to apples where the benefit of LEED for a long time was its flexibility actually, because you could choose to focus um, your efforts in certain areas. You could do all, you know, I'm gonna have a, a really amazing water system and then, mm -hmm. uh, you know, Take maybe so not insulate as much, you know, that kind of thing. And mm -hmm. so you can make these cost benefit decisions. Um, that flexibility is changing now. There's some, some newer programs that we're about to talk about that are coming out mm -hmm. that are truly more performance-based. And so- um, A little more stringent, of, yeah. Yeah, and mm -hmm. LEED has adopted some of, the, some of that approach for their newer versions. Hmm. Okay. Um, so what about reuse? We, we know that the biggest ways we can combat climate change is to use actual existing building stock. Yeah. And renovate. So do LEED and Energy Star have certification opportunities for renovations and retrofits? 
They do. They do. Um, LEED has a program called EBOM, Existing Building Operation and Maintenance. Um, but it's mainly geared toward commercial and it's really kind of requires that it be a full gut rehab. Um, so maybe there are some applications mm-hmm. in the single family, but, but not as much. Um, Energy Star also certifies a lot of existing building stock when it comes to commercial, um, but unfortunately they don't have a program for, um, for existing homes. They just have a new, new construction in, in their homes division. Right, not reused. <laughs> so it seems like both, uh, both programs should consider setting up separate programs for existing homes to incentivize renovation. I mean, you know, they need separate program for that over new construction and you know we all want to reduce embodied carbon so that's the goal for sure yeah yeah the embodied carbon piece as we've talked about in many of our episodes is uh is super important and that's a great idea and i don't really know why they don't to be honest um so (laughs) if anyone out there listening knows why existing homes aren't on the list of building certification types for energy star and lead i would love to uh to know the answer we know we want to know the answer exactly um email at info at shfbuild.com with questions comments uh answers to that question suggestions for topics in the future we'd love to hear from you um and please check us out on patreon if you like what we're doing here and would like to become a donor um if you go there, we're in the process of launching that. So if you go there and you don't see us, then give us a couple of days and check back. Um, but yeah, we're, we're really excited uh, about continuing this podcast and really going into depth, more depth. Terrific, terrific. Yes, uh, also check us out on uh, YouTube. So we have our interviews um, as we speak being uploaded. We have a lot of great ideas for the second season and we'd love your help. Ian, should we get back on track? Uh, let's see about the historical timeline. Uh, which program comes next? Ah, uh, yes, history. Uh, well, Living Building Challenge and Passive House US um, both came online. And if you ever see P H I U S, that's FIUS. Um, that is Passive House Institute of US. If you ever see that, or if you see LBC, that's Living Building Challenge. Um, if you're in the biz. Uh, and they both came online around the same time and launched in uh, 2006, 2007, respectfully, uh, respectively, and respectfully. But neither program actually certified any buildings until a couple years later. So 2010 was the first time that they actually got something certified. And, and there's a very important reason for that. Can you guess why that might be? Well, I bet it has something to do with prescriptive path versus performance-based certification. What do you it think? It does. Yes. A plus. Um, passive house is definitely geared a bit more toward building performance than, than a prescriptive path. Um, and in order to be certified with living building challenge, your building actually has to report 12 full months of energy modeling, Mm -hmm. hence the multiple year delay in getting anything certified. So, you know, not only would you have to Mm -hmm. do the initial design process, but then you have to have 12 full months after the fact, and you have to continue to continue that, to, to keep your certification, um, which is, it's great, you know. That's, mm-hmm. It is. You, you can't just get an oil change once and then uh, never do it again and say I'm good. <laughs> right, right, exactly right. Um, but yeah, both both those programs are are quite a bit more stringent than LEED uh, started out to be, and as far as what's required on the design and also on the construction side. So there were fewer buildings that would even be considered when the the programs first come out came out, um, and 
while these programs aren't actually that much more expensive than LEAD, so they're, they're in a, a similar category as LEAD, um, to register and certify, it's really the process of Living Building Challenge and also the, the design process yeah. mm -hmm. and the stringent process of Passive House that require more upfront um, soft costs, as we've referred to before, um, rather than the actual certification cost itself. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So can you talk a little bit more about the additional requirements other than energy reporting that, that's required? Yeah, I mean, obviously we don't have time to go into every little detail, but both Living Building Challenge and Passive House US uh, are all or nothing certifications. So, you know, you're putting a lot of time, effort, energy, risk, ultimately into compiling a good project team to adhere to these building requirements. And you are taking that risk that your team's hard work would, you know, potentially not result in a successful project. So you better mm -hmm. be really Take sure that, that you trust all the people on your project. Um, yeah. For lead, okay. you know, in, in opposition to that, for lead, you can shoot for platinum and end up with gold. Still have certification at the end uh -huh. of the day. Satisfaction. Mm -hmm. yeah. Something there. So bigger risk, bigger reward, and ultimately you end up with a better building, actually, using Living Building Challenge and Passive House Guidelines, I think. What do you think? Yeah, yeah. Passive House started in Germany in the 80s and 90s, and it's focused on a tight building envelope, uh, really high-performance windows, and minimal mechanical systems, as we've talked about before. You can go back and listen to our architecture episode, um, our uh, site analysis and sustainable uh, site analysis episode. And we really talk a lot about passive design and how on the front mm -hmm. end that's, that's necessary to minimize those mechanical systems. And so for the right climate, um, it's a fantastic architectural solution for, for lowering energy consumption and lowering environmental impact um, just by doing some good things on the design side. While mm -hmm. uh, LBC, Living Building Challenge, has a seven petal system, basically a flower, with each petal representing an integral part of the design process. Um, pretty similar to LEED, actually, but the petals in this case mm -hmm. are a little different. And they are place, water, energy, materials. So we're on the same track so far, right? And then the mm -hmm. last three are health and happiness, equity, mm -hmm. and beauty. Believe it or what not. a concept, health and happiness. My goodness, to actually take that into consideration in your building is pretty astonishing. So equity and beauty, now that's, that's, that's where we're really talking. Yeah. Rubber far, meets the road. <laughs> far cry <laughs> from simply energy modeling during the design process. A lot, a lot more uh, yeah. required. Um, and Passive House has done a really great job of developing programs for, because they came over from from Germany originally, you know, they had a system that worked for that climate because all those climates were mm. pretty similar in Germany. And then they came over to the US where we have all these different climate zones. And so they've actually developed programs for um, certifying builders and designers and making sure that folks in the industry are up to speed on that. And they've also come up with different solutions and different requirements um, and guidelines for different climate zones, which is different than any of the other programs really. Um, mm -hmm. You know, some of them have that same approach, but it's more intuitive. But in this one, they're like, no, if you're in this climate zone, and, you know, this is how that's, you do it. Um, and that's very thank cool. Thank goodness for that guidance. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, but um, it is, it, well, it is mainly still a prescriptive program like Energy Star. That's, that's the only downside. I mean, there's more rigorous performance testing at the end of the process, but there are no mm -hmm. energy monitoring requirements. Um, uh, so it's still kind of, you know, on the, on the levels here, it's like, I guess you could say lead and passive house are like on the same level, but in sort of different, uh, different environments. And then 
LBC for sure, Living Building Challenge is, is like at the top when it comes to. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, yeah, I agree. Healthy long, long term performance mm -hmm. is, is really the key there. Absolutely. So, um, so what kind of buildings um, would actually that be good for? Um, yeah, so speaking to Passive House, you can actually go on the Passive House website. I'll put a link in the show notes and you can check out all of Passive House's certified U.S. projects. Um, there's, uh, some, I think there's in the thousands now. Um, and they're overwhelmingly doing residential new construction. Um, ah. So, you know, pros and, you know. pros and cons there. Um, there are a couple retrofit. There's a couple of commercial school projects on there. But, um, but yeah, mostly single family and multifamily residential. So I would assume Living Building Challenge is doing more municipal commercial office projects rather than, you know, just based on their people-focused approach, that, that fits. Yeah, yeah, exactly. The more people, the more impact. Um, the requirements for Living Building Challenge go as far as making sure that your contractors are uh, super safe, um, mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. uh, not using like single-use water bottles on site. I mean, these little things that, that seem, you know, kind of arbitrary, but really do add up to an overall approach that, that is way more sustainable. Um, and I said, the real kicker is you got to report those 12 months of, of energy monitoring. Yeah, so right. uh, and you got to be zero water and you got to be zero energies, which is really hard to do unless you're That's fully committed to the process. Sure. Yeah. So, and, and it's a big team that you have to have on, on board to really vet all the materials yeah. um, and making sure nothing that, that you're using is on that red list. The, the, the red list. Yeah, the red list. Oh my gosh. Uh, we talked about that in our last episode on sustainable materials. So That's please right. take a listen if you haven't already. We'll, <clears throat> we go into a little bit more depth on it. So you mentioned earlier, Ian, that LEED has changed a bit over the years. So what exactly have they changed in the process? Great question. Um, for a long time, you could use, as I said, either a prescriptive or a more performance-based path for many of the, those prerequisite categories. And now they're really moving toward a fully performance-based approach. So um, it's not just about, you still have to do the energy modeling. I mean, you, as we've talked about many mm -hmm. times, you still got to do that. <laughs> yeah, that's the baseline for anything that's called green building or sustainable or whatever. Um, but but yeah, I think they saw the, the writing on the wall with Living Building Challenge really and, and realized that they needed to also move in that direction where, you know, they, mm. they were focusing more on, okay, how is this going to perform? Not just, you know, do we have all the right, all the people in the room at the beginning? So it's, mm. you know, it's stepping their program up a little bit. Um, mm. It does cut down on some of that flexibility that clients and project managers really liked about LEAD. You, you can't put all your eggs in one basket, one part of the certification anymore. Um, ah, but one cool thing that they do, and I know you love innovation. I love it too. Um, I really like what they do with innovation because they allow points for systems integration, for materiality, for things that aren't on the checklist. It all goes into the innovation category. You can get points for that. And oh, wonderful. <laughs> you can actually like, it's a, an opportunity to sort of do case studies and evaluate some of these cutting edge exactly. ideas. And if at the end of that, you have a really great idea that everybody else needs to know about, then you can help you disseminate that out into the, the green building community. So that, that's a really cool element of LEED. Absolutely. I mean, the building industry is in the middle of an evolution, a revolution. So we have to keep up. 
you know, and new technologies, new materials, and all those things need to come online in that in that very thing you're talking about. And we need to just share all these ideas. Yeah. Share exactly. Yeah. So, what is the fifth one again, Ian? You said well, right? Well, yes, the well building standard. Yes, uh, the most recent historic addition to our top five, officially launched just six years ago in 2014. Um, and this one is definitely performance and data driven big time, um, entirely focused on fostering health and wellness of people in buildings. So they, they took that health and happiness pedal from living building challenge, um, you know, our people centered buildings idea, and they really kicked it up a notch. So quite a few notches, actually. Interesting. So they have a point system or is it pass and fail? Uh, sort of a hybrid, actually. There, there are minimum requirements that have to be met in each category, sort of like lead. Um, and then they have what are called optimizations in each category rather than specific points. So they actually have a formula where you do a certain percentage of the overall optimizations. And then based on the percentage of optimizations that you've done, then you get to gold or platinum. So yeah, it's complicated, uh, sort of like lead a little bit. But, um, and I know we said we'd just do five but it's actually worth mentioning that there's another program called FitWell, F-I-T-W-E-L, hmm. that in my humble opinion is a less expensive and less big, rigorous version of well. Um, so application-wise, it might be a good fit for a cost-conscious existing building that's, that's looking for a lower barrier to certification, um, but it definitely doesn't mm -hmm. provide the, that full scope, yeah, that well can, can for your building or for the people in it. Um, man, we've covered a lot. Uh, do you have any more big picture questions, Ginger? Or? Well, no, no specific questions. Um, we covered a lot. So just wanting to re reiterate something we said at the top, which is for many of these programs and certifications, you have to get the whole gang together, sit down, come up with good design ideas. They're all integrated. They're all talked about in, in the beginning. So we can't really hammer that home enough for you guys. So good design, good, good organization in the beginning. So listen to our episode called Design Charette for more details on that process. Yeah, I'm glad you said that again, because um, not only can that lead to a successful building certification, but it will also lead, as we said, to a, a building that's healthier, brighter, more comfortable, more beautiful, connected to nature, mm -hmm. better suited to keep the occupants happy, um, not to mention our goal of keeping the planet healthy. Mm -hmm for all of us in the coming years. And that is the ultimate goal. So <laughs> cheers to that, Ian. And to our listeners, thank you for turning, tuning in. Please check out our uh, YouTube channel, Sustainable Homes of the Future channel for video interviews. We've got our, our podcast up there as well. So uh, post us some comments, send us suggestions for topics. We'd really love to hear more about it. So um, see our show notes for a link. Indeed. Um, if you have more detailed questions about any of these programs, please reach out to info at shfbuild.com. Uh, we'd love to help you, your next building project, be a true sustainability success um, and be part of that team. Until next time, think about the people you work with and the people you live with and imagine what a healthier future could look like if every building was zero waste, zero carbon, zero energy, zero water. I mean, we're building mm. the future here, folks. Absolutely. Thank you, Ginger, and Good thank goal. you to everyone listening. <laughs> thank uh, you, Ian. Thanks for coming along for the ride. 